Hello everyone and welcome to another horrific chat. In this segment we talk to various independent creators to discuss their work, influences and journey into horror. Tonight we're joined by filmmaker Gene Dolders, currently working on his latest project, The Blade Cut Steeper. Uh, evening Gene and welcome, how are you man? Hi Colin, I'm, I'm good thanks and thanks for having me on your show, really no, appreciate thanks it. thanks for coming on. Um, yeah we just kind of met randomly uh, online, I think it was a Facebook group or something, I think you just put a post up wasn't it? I did, yeah. I can't remember which group it was now because I'm, a, <clears throat> I'm a, I am a, a member of so many. Um, but uh, yeah, I made a post, I think, just advertising the fact that I was making the movie, or we were just about to go into production, or we just finished principal photography. I can't really remember. Um, and then I think it'd been up for a while, and then you responded mm -hmm. to it. But yeah, yeah, it was just happenstance. Um, but great. That's a well. We we'll spend a lot of time, I think, riffing on social media and the evils of it, but. It's also a very useful tool. So I think more balanced thought. We'll take the positive with the negatives. You know, what was sort of trying, because uh, a lot of people don't want to create. They're afraid of um, getting involved because of social media. And I think I'll try to talk to you here. Like, tell me an experience with a troll, how you dealt with it. And uh, busy just to let people know, yeah, we can get over this and move on. Because uh, social media is a scary thing. It, it actually puts so many people off. We're just, I don't know. I think they're afraid of getting dog piled on by like random weirdos. Yeah, no, I agree. You know what? I'm lucky because because still nobody knows who I am. I haven't had any trolls, <laughs> so I'm, I'm okay at the moment. Um, That's when you know you've made it. You take. I say it as leveling up. When you get your first troll, you're like, ah, oh, yes, I am somebody. Yes, I've angered somebody so much that they've emailed me. Yes, winner. I think. Um, I think because. For quite a long time, I'd use social media simply to interact with um, friends and family because for about 10 years, I lived outside of the UK mm -hmm. and it was just useful to get back in contact with people and, you know, kind of show me, show this what I was doing or for me to see what other people were doing and then chat on the messengers. But I've never really advertised myself creatively you know like you know a lot of people be like you know I'm, I'm, I'm filming this or I'm doing this, um, you know, I'm working on this project. It wasn't until somebody told me that I need to start doing that just before I started making my first feature that I actually started actively just, just going on groups or just even telling my friends like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm, I'm doing some filming and I'm doing this now. So it's, it's still in that sense, new to me and I need to get better at it, especially with hashtags apparently, because I'm not very good with hashtags and tagging, tagging things. In, in the oh yeah. I had the, I actually went on a back two years ago when everything shut down. I went on a social media course. Uh, when I just starting off this um, whole project, God, when was that? that was three years ago. God, scary. Yeah, um, and that was one of the things. Water hashtags, and they're basically they're just database fields at the end of the day. So that's yeah, all it's they just, are. just, a, it's just, just another fields. way of adding metadata, isn't it, to the post? Yeah. That's it. I mean, so I mean, I kind of do. I, I do understand how you're supposed to use it. It's just um, implementing it in your kind of day to day life because it wasn't something I was used to doing, and I'm still not doing it that very that well now. And I think somebody else might actually start taking over the uh social media accounts for you know the the movie that we've made because it, it it's it, they'll be better at it than I have, and simply I don't have enough time. I mean, it's I, I I'm quite impressed by creative people who have the time to create all this stuff, but then also have the time to advertise it so much on social media as well because I don't see I, I only seem to have time to do one or the other. Yeah, and that's I actually talked to quite a few people about that, and that is the struggle. Um, we've talked about the whole self-promotion thing. Um, it's a bane of any creator's life. It's um it's, it's a bit it's the work element, if that makes sense. People find it the most is the most work. Actually, 
oh, look at me, I'm brilliant. Like, you have to be a complete sociopath, narcissist, to enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that, definitely. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, no, I could, I'll just completely agree with what you just said. <laughs> Which is funny enough, because actually, um, so is this your first feature film? Because I know your website was down, your website's down at the moment, it's got, currently getting restructured, so a uh, bit tricky to see your full back catalogue. Yeah, so uh, it's my first feature film I've directed. It's mm -hmm. not the first feature film I've worked on. Um, it's to give you a little rundown. I've directed uh, two short narratives, and then I was about to. Uh, well, I was in the process of writing the third one um, with Alex, who co-wrote the, the, the feature film with me, mm -hmm. and we were writing it, and we got to about forty pages. I was like, "This is just too long for a short film now." And we just had so many ideas that the third short film just turned into. The feature film instead so my plan was originally just to make another short film so i'd only i've only actually directed two short films before this but a lot of my background is in a commercial filmmaking and, and doing stuff um yeah because i was yeah. actually going to ask that you know the whole you know the typical trope interview question ever how did you get into filmmaking and where did you start and how does that sort of journey come along to this point um well i got into filmmaking because <clears throat> i guess like most people I loved films when I was younger, made a very big impression on me. It's a very good way to escape, it's purely escapism for me, movies. I'm not a fan of watching uh, biographies. I'm not really a fan of watching anything that's too close to real life because movies for me are pure escapism. If I wanted to watch, you know, some like a biography, I'd rather watch a documentary instead of a, instead of a movie. You know, movies meant to take me away from life, and that's what I want to make as well. Uh, so from a very young age, about eight or nine, I got into horror and then I think it was when I saw, uh, I think I was 12 when I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was, I think it was still technically banned in this country. That was nice. Yeah, that's, um, people don't understand that um, right up until the 90s, the UK was like proper draconian censorship laws. In fact, we did a whole stream about censorship of horror and the whole yeah. history behind it. And yeah, the UK was the world leader in and stuff and censorship and video nasties and <laughs> my co-host that uh, actually he's on tomorrow with me cameron he didn't understand the term video nasties and the fact that we didn't get to see any argento movies till later on in life or if you had some squatty mates snooking back from germany well that, that's it <laughs> that was I mean, my pipeline <laughs> i think it was uh like 98 when they finally made technically texas chains well these it wasn't that it was technically legal it just wasn't certified for a long time so this finally certified in 98 and i remember it came out in the cinema i, I think i went to see it like three times in one week when it came out see it because it was still obviously 98 um everything was shown on 35 millimeter then mm -hmm. but yeah so i saw that when i was 12 uh, and that made a very big impression on me um it's quite an intense movie but it's also really good because it's so short I think it's probably why it's ended up becoming my favorite film. I think obviously when you see a film like that at such a young age, it makes a big impression. It's probably gonna, you know, a long-lasting impression if if you enjoyed the ride that you went on, and I did. So it was it's it's now I consider it to be my my favorite film or the best film I've ever seen, and also it's short as well, which is something else I liked about it. So I kind of grab after that I gravitated more towards watching shorter horror movies, especially a lot of the stuff from the eighties because those slashes are obviously quite quite short they're not like two hour two and a half hour epics like yeah. some of them are now do you think it's getting a bit more pretentious or people just can't edit anymore uh, maybe uh the the advent of from film into digital yeah change the landscape but at least with film you're constrained that directors had it right i've only got 90 minutes you know i've only got it'll only fit in one vhs tape 
I'd only fit only so much that off. I'd only a, a DVD, you know. Was that a healthy thing to be limited in that? Has have we gone too much the other way with the uh, well, like, I think... and the fact that you don't have to limit yourself to the length of a movie? Well, I think it can, it started in the nineties, didn't it? Really, I think with the longer movies when you had Quentin Tarantino starting to make longer movies and people kind of followed suit. You had these like um, these multiple storylines going on, so obviously it accounted for needing quite quite a few quite a, a longer length. And it just mm-hmm. movies started just kind of creeping up. You know, Heat came out. That was <laughs> I think the director's got that. It's like almost that three was hours exhausting. Long now. I remember about a year ago. God, that yeah. Was... I mean, I like it, but <laughs> there's a bit too much melodrama in it for me in mm-hmm. some parts. Um, but yeah, I think in the 90s, it just started creeping up again. Uh, so I don't think it's anything that's modern now. I think it's just kind of been going on for a couple of decades. And But now I think the style of filmmaking is so radically different from what I grew up watching that it doesn't work in a two to two and a half hour length. Um, you know, the movies are very much almost like shorts that you might see on youtube now in the sense that everything's just happening so so fast but there's so much stuff happening over such a long period of time that it's hard to really be that interested in it because you're just giving too much um information and you could argue okay maybe we just need more slow burners where there's a better creation with the characters and the story and they could be two two and a half hours long or 90 minutes long but it's just we invest more in the, in the story and the characters instead mm. um but yeah it's, it probably does have something to do with um uh like somewhat post MTV generation, the way things just got edited. And I, you know, my personal theory is this, we can blame resident evil two, right? So if you watch, this is, this is honestly my personal theory. So resident evil two, the movie came out mm-hmm. and if you watch it, it's like watching a 90 minute music video, like a 90 minute horror music video. And it is, I, I found it. Wasn't that the one that the not that night played the theme tune for, wasn't it? I've, I, yeah, I, all I remember is the sequences in the church. No, it was the first one. Sorry, they did it for uh, the first one. They did the theme tune. That's oh, the, for the first one. Yeah, first one. Sorry, my apologies. But no, no, it's okay. But yeah, I think I honestly think one, one that was one of the major movies. Also helped along probably by people like Michael Bay and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of nonsensical films that just don't just things are happening. But we can blame good. Michael Bay for a lot of things in the movie industry. Yeah, and Resident <laughs> Evil too. I want to get that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Resident Evil series. Um. Yeah, they're, they're popcorn flicks, let's be honest. Um, and they just got more and more goofy as yeah, the, the time went the, on. The first one was okay. I tell you what, though, did you see the new one? The, the newest one was really good. What, um, res- what was it called? Welcome uh, Raccoons? I think it was called Welcome to Raccoon City. I've lost Either coming. way, it's really good. It's it's nothing to do to? with all the originals. That, like, Well, none to do with the other franchise that came out. It's completely standalone. It's, it's, a, it's basically the first and second game perfectly right. put into a movie. Right, because I got to the point where um, Alice was cloned about a million times, and that was a whole setup at the end of that movie. And then the beginning of the next one, it was like a five minute scene. You're like, that was a waste of a setup. <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. it meandered. I think there was two after that. And then there's that weird one in the desert. In Vegas, I think. I think they're in yeah, Vegas. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, because it's funny because there was somebody in that using an A1 SA80 and it didn't jam once in the desert. And you're like, no, I think you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> you know the old, you know the, the old SA80 um, yeah, yeah. before they revamped it they'll take you <clears> bang bang <laughs> bang bang something awful and they had this thing in the movie and like ha that's a lie that's he's fired about 10 shots and not one jam don't think so <laughs> <laughs> sorry I was just me being a bit of a nerd you know <laughs> pick up things up. and then they did the weird animated ones didn't they I think I checked out after that because I was just getting 
Like, oh, I, I saw one of those where it opens up in an airport, and the whole film actually might be set in an airport, like a CG, it looked like a like a computer, like CGI one. Yeah, like, like a C, like a, a Final Fan, like a Final Fancy movie. That yeah. I just um, but no, I wasn't really into them that much. Either be animation or don't. This weird hybrid doesn't quite sit right. God, what was that one? Um, that had Keanu Reeves. It was like a weird animated one. Do you remember that? It was like a one-letter title or something. Keanu Reeves and what, yeah, the zombie he was, one. He was a character, but it was like animated. But it was, it was like, oh. oh, I don't remember that one. It's kind of intriguing, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a. Uh, uh, I forget it now, but it was just that's and that was a. I was sort of the early mid two thousands when this weird animation came in, and they couldn't quite decide whether to make an animated feature or a live action, and then they tried to hybrid the two, and it. They just look terrible. It just takes you right out, because like I said, yeah. suspension of disbelief. Is I everything. think yeah. Well, that's it. I think mean, I mean, I think if you go in that route, I would rather just watch kind of standard like manga anime style, you know, mm. than, than than the computer generated one, or just have the CGI stuff mixed in with live action, you know, in the background how it should be used, like visual effects wise. But yeah, watching watching a whole movie like that, um, I yeah, it's not interesting me. But I guess we'll. It's probably going to change a lot in the next five, ten years with all the AI and, and how they're using virtual productions. They'll probably be able to. You probably won't even be able to tell the difference between the real person and um, and the fake one that they're creating mm -hmm. that the quantum computers are all creating in the in the scenarios. Yeah, that's why they're. Um, do you know what? Um, the way Hollywood is, not having to listen to any of their actors, <laughs> and if it's replaced by a computer, it's at least civil. I don't <laughs> mind. Well, if, if it's, what was that, what's that show? Uh, Black Mirror. They had that first episode, didn't they, in the new season, where it's, um, a quantum computer is creating multiple realities of one person's life, but it's just generate. The, the computer seems to be able to follow this person <clears throat> in their daily life and then recreate it as a TV show for other people to stream. Um, so <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that actually becomes a reality. It'd be great. Yeah, we're heading that direction. It's just, um, I think we need to be a. I, I love technology, you know. I mean, I've grown up with it. I've seen the evolution. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do this without technology, but I think we need to temper it as well and just be remember what we are humans. We need the human experience <clears throat> as much as anything. Well, yeah, I, de I mean, I definitely don't want it to hamper too much on production side simply because I like being on set. I mean, mm -hmm. I've never been a part of a movie production where they use virtual productions, I've worked with some people who have. And it just, from how they describe it, it sounds a little exciting because it'd be intriguing to see. But you're spending uh, these virtual productions, these massive panels that basically actors are just standing in front of. You're just staying in a studio the entire time. And part of the fun of filming for me is, is filming on location and so mm -hmm. you know things that you can feel and touch. And it's just, and also, yeah, it's just, um, I don't want to lose the human interaction aspect of making the movie either. Do you think that's what will make independent movies more appealing? Because we've seen it with mainstream media. Uh, we're seeing it now. Hollywood's like it's an injured animal, wounded animal, gravely, you know, because it's just put off the audience so much. They're sick of the fakeness and insincerity. Um, and we see it as well with mainstream like interviews, interview channels. People would rather watch this, believe it or not, on YouTube than some studio where everyone's all polished and the same generic questions and tones and canned laughter you know laugh at this point somebody holds up a sign all that you know i think people are sick of that do you think that gives independent cinema a chance then to really grow its niche i think i don't think independent cinema is having like a massive problem with its audience 
I think independent cinema now, the biggest problem for independent cinema now is where you watch it. Because mm -hmm. at least, say, if you go back to, say, let's say 60s, 70s, and mostly, we'll talk, like America's a good example to use of that, but 60s and 70s, you got someone like Roger Corman making movies that are truly independent of a studio, but then they're also getting played at the cinema because that's the only place really you could go and watch it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then with VHS coming in, not so bad, or beta, Betamax and VHS coming in, um, not so bad because still the movies have to play at the cinema regardless of uh, if they were kind of independent or big studio, and then they would filter down. There was to always a progression, wasn't there? Yeah. Right in the cinema first. You waited a few months, and then uh, it appeared in the video stores. So that's and what I think it should be now. With with like Netflix, would make sense if everything still went on the cinema that would kind of go on the cinema, and then mm -hmm. Netflix would just get it later. Um, and I think that's the problem is that because people are just making stuff now specifically for streaming services, that indie stuff is always most likely just going to head there straight away or to physical media like DVD and Blu-ray because then if you just keep with the streaming services and just making stuff for them, independent cinema is never really going to get much of a chance to go back to cinema anymore because, well, why should they? Yeah. Um, talking of the independent, uh, especially the independent horror movie scene, um, in the UK, is that in a healthy place right now? Because it's something that we are just talking before we went live. It's virtually impossible to, like, get a bead on like uk filmmakers or find out about projects it's, it's almost um it's almost like you're an archaeologist or something you're having to go like <laughs> hunting like it's not readily well, available well it's definitely not advertised i think as much as maybe uh, possibly in the states but yeah i mean there obviously are some around like i saw in the news the other day that uh what uh, they're resurrecting amicus studios again um like did all the horror stuff in this around the what like 60s 70s i think mm -hmm. I think i think it's a company called hex studio that are responsible for like bringing that back um and there are there, you know there are, there are independent filmmakers but yeah you're right you, you don't really hear about them um talked about that much especially as much as like the american kind of counterpart we purely met by filmmakers. chance which is fortunate but I yeah, was, I, I uh, think just... more effort is, it needs to be made here for people to interact with each other and, and to get the word out. You've got, you got conventions, obviously, and you've got film festivals, but people who really want to do that stuff are going to go to that stuff. And, and I think you're talking more about just kind of the general wider public. Yeah, because film festivals are great. And that's, um, I've talked to quite a few, All anyway, I've talked America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, you know, all over the place. And that's a lot of the thing. They talk about distribution going to a film festival, but after the film festival, the movie just disappears into the ether. Yeah, you'll get it at Asda, um, probably on DVD. You know, well, not really horror movies. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> I would say like that's because of um, the bias against horror. You're never going to see it in a supermarket or the airport. I would say like especially with horror books, <laughs> the minute you see it in the horror, or sorry, in the airport uh, bookshop. Or in a supermarket shelf, you know it's being accepted, but that's two places you'll never find decent horror movies. Or I, oh, I, you got a good point there, yeah. Because I was in Asda the other day, and the only horror movies on sale there were the, like obviously the big ones to be in the cinema, like Smile was the I saw that on the shelf, and some others. But yeah, if you're looking at true independent, um, like there are, there are some names that I mean I don't know the people, <clears> but I've seen some of the movies and and I know of them. So you got a guy named like Charlie Steeds mm -hmm. who uh, runs. Was it Dark Temple Motion Pictures? Who just I think makes movies straight for kind of the DVD, like home media market. Um, I don't know if his movies. 
I think you can you could obviously get his movies on Amazon and stuff like that, but I don't think you. I think you're right. His level is movies that he's making. It's and which are the ones that people should be supporting. I don't see them on sale in places like Asda, which would be good instead of like the big budget ones like Smile that probably don't need the help. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone's buying that movie anyway. Um, I, I didn't mind it. I enjoyed it. There was a few plot points. We did a whole review on it. Um, um, Cameron and I were like at loggerheads because I don't see a sequel. He thinks a sequel would be a good idea. I don't. I think I'll just be beating a dead horse. Yeah, I, mean, I think that so. story's been told. Leave it there. That'll be it. If they make a sequel, it'll be like just milking it for the sake of it. I think, so. yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. That was the 24 one, wasn't it? Oh, was it? Uh, don't, I don't remember. I can't remember. It might have been. I think it, it might have been. Don't hold me to that. <clears throat> I think also it's important to distinguish like what do we mean by independent because mm-hmm. that i think has changed over the years as well you know independent cinema truly used to be uh well people used to associate independent cinema with like low budget productions but mm-hmm. now i mean maybe most people members of the public don't understand this but there's kind of different levels of budget so you got like you know no budget micro budget low budget you know those different types of budgets and and those the ranges of the of how much they cost have changed over the years so from what years ago people would have classed as like no budget independent cinema that then suddenly made it big is is actually higher have higher budgets now than they used to because now we have something called like a no budget movie because of also the technology that we have access to so it's a it, it's good to define in this kind of modern age what we truly think independent cinema is at, w- at what level are we talking is it more the distribution aspect of, if it's not like um i can talk more from books independent novels or classes not one of the big five publishing houses so if it's not part of that it's classes independent but then you can also have like independent self-published but then you've also independent small press which are small publishing groups yeah that, you know that's still under the independent umbrella but that's uh yeah cinema's uh like a completely different animal but then that's why we're here to have the conversation to let people know because maybe the people understand better they're more likely to support it well, yeah, I think if, if you stick with the classic kind of understanding that independent cinema is simply independent of the studio system, there's a lot of movies, that a lot of independent movies that end up on the cinema because, you know, the uh, pri- fi- privately financed and then, you know, uh, studios pick them up and release them. But, they, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's an independent film in that sense that it was made independently. But then <clears throat> you can go really far down the line and look at a company um, uh say like my company that's making its first feature film that was privately financed for you know it's a low budget movie a truly independent to the point that you know we tried to partially crowdfund this as well yeah we tried it did not work <laughs> it didn't work at all no so yeah we, that's I mean, one thing we we'll talk about as well people don't understand crowdfunding either and they're very suspicious of it so um i've talked to a few studios obviously and they've explained where they're coming from the crowdfunding and what you can get and once again, that's about opening people's minds more, and I think they get the, they get to know the creator. That's where, um, especially British cinema, fails. People don't know who they are, so it's just yeah. a, another campaign. Well, that's that's going back to my problem before of why I should be better at social media because I think one of the key factors, in fact, if I had to put it in some one of them within like the top three things that you need to do before you have a kickstart campaign is is definitely have a social media presence because that's going to help you a lot because I do not because I mostly use mine for family and friends um you know 
we had, I think we, what were we asking for? I think we were asking for 10,000 pounds just to finish off what we needed to finish off. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily I managed to source it privately anyway, when the Kickstarter failed. So that we, yeah. that was fine. But, um, you know, I think we ended up with about 33% of the, of the Kickstarter being successful with, you know, people coming in and giving money, but they're not, uh, you know, obviously we didn't succeed, so we didn't get the money from the, um, so we've got an expensive side of notice, um, like other, other ones offer, even just uh, thank you credits for a lot less. So it seemed to be a bit in the, the yeah, high yeah, price wise. Yeah, yeah. And once again, it's a combination of that and getting your face out there so people can trust the brand. You know, it's like, ah, we know Jane. We've seen Jane. He's he's appeared in this and that. Ah, right. We know what he thinks about, oh, see his passions behind something. So yeah, I'll support him. You know, that's half the balance. Not hard to do. You know, it's just engage with folks um well that's that you know you make a good point there as well yeah it's about engaging and also like more like i think better rewards you're right there some of the rewards were, were too expensive for what, for what we were asking for people and just simply more interesting rewards like more physical ones as well would have mm-hmm. helped i think uh to help people engage but yeah i think the but the, the main thing at the beginning was yeah engage with the audience and then but see i i, I have i can it's confliction with me with that because in, in order to engage with the audience a lot of the time, okay, first of all, you're probably going to set up some kind of physical channel, most likely on YouTube, right? Probably. Well, um, maybe not go that far. You can have a YouTube account. And if you take part in an interview, you can create your own playlists. So without having to physically make loads of videos yourself. Yeah. If you take, like, for example, this one, if you had your YouTube account, you add this as a playlist interviews. And then it appears on your channel. So that oh, right, content okay. without having yeah. to actually worry about, oh, right, okay, I've got to set this time aside, I've got to make this, what do you talk about? Um, that's why people like me exist, because you've got to go up to the <laughs> not much talent, the big, big mouth and a mic. Oh, that's not true. And I, I do no. talk before you. <laughs> but, but I think I see a, a lot of the people, because I did go on for, I did go on and actually kind of do some research before I went to Kickstarter, because I was thinking, okay, well, I'll have a look into this and see, because I've never done it before. But I mean, I'd done it once before with someone else that helped them out editing a video, but I hadn't been part of actually setting up the campaign. So I thought, I'll go on and have a look. And I found that most of the people who were successful for funding horror movies through there already had a substantial amount of short films on like their YouTube channel or a website that people could watch. Mm-hmm. And I only had uh, two and the two that are not, uh, you know, available for people to watch. They're just, th- th- if I'm being honest, those two short films I made were more of a practice and I was just wanting to practice, you know, the, the art of filmmaking. That's also mm-hmm. my first short film was a crime one. And my second was a horror. The first one ended up at being 11 minutes long. The second one ended up being about, just under three minutes i think it was but i learned a lot from doing those two short films which i think mm-hmm. is a very important thing for people to do you know just because you're making shorts it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be successful with them but you will learn a lot whilst you're making them and the first one i learned how to budget which is budget and schedule is what i learned in the first one the mm-hmm. second one i learned how to use uh how to work with a um, physical effects properly because I knew that when it came time to actually making a feature film because I obviously wanted to make a feature film that it would all be practical effects no CGI and so I used the second one to get that experience so the, 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 I'm proud of the short films but they'll they'll never really be publicly available for people to watch um, they did they did play at a couple of film festivals mm-hmm. the second one played at a, a horror festival in Vegas and the first one played at a couple of in the UK but they were just good learning tools mm-hmm. but my point is that um, you know, a lot of these guys on Kickstart, 
had this background and stuff and people would go on and be like, oh, really cool. I like your style. Like, I know what I'm going to get. So here's some money for your project that you're doing now, whereas yeah. I didn't have that before. So it's it's another... So it doesn't preclude, because the first one didn't succeed. And once again, people are afraid to try because of failure. But because the first one failed doesn't mean it's going to stop you in the future. You've oh, learned no. a few lessons. No. Move on. That's a good we say. We actually because just got a questioner from Wills34 on Twitch. Um, what do you recommend for getting your film into a film festival? It depends on what level uh, you want to be. Um, I mean, it's a really... Uh, if you're making a small film and you just want some people to see it, um, there's a lot of film festivals out there uh, that you'll be able to get played at simply because they want content. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. Mm -hmm. I just mean that that's just, you know, people always looking stuff to film the film festival. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to get your film festival into a big film festival, um, you know, like a really big film festival like Cannes or Sundance, and it's just even just a short film, it'd be good to hire a sales agent or someone who has contacts with the film festival. There are companies and there's one specific company that's really good at it. And I can't remember the name of the top of my head. And a friend of mine used it. But the company is so prestigious in that sense that you will submit your films to their website. They'll watch it if they like it. They will help you get into a film festival. Now, obviously, you have to pay them, um, but still, they'll only do it if they personally like the film as well. Mm -hmm. um, so in order to answer, it, it just depends on what level you want to play at, basically. You know, th there's a film festival for everything out there. If you go on Film Freeway, uh, the middleman website that we that most filmmakers use, to submit their films to film festivals you'll see the on the i think it's on the left side uh, you can filter all the different types of film festivals from genres to i mean they go down to like um film festivals that are based around race and sexuality and and, and so many different things so you know there's always a film festival for for anything that you make out there mm -hmm. that's good um <clears throat> do you think that's maybe the way forward like you're talking about the way cinema is at the moment and the whole problem of streaming and once again, with any new technology, the human race tends to go, you know, and just doesn't know how to deal with it. <laughs> so I think, with, like we saw with um, VHS, actually, when it came out, people lost their minds. You know, oh, you're going to have everything in your house and no filter, blah, blah, blah. And uh, people went crazy over that. And we've seen it with uh, the internet, because that was the differentiate between when the internet came out and when social media, because there are two different phases, I think. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And definitely. we're seeing it with streaming. That was originally people going to unplug from cable. In fact, when cable came out from terrestrial TV, I mean, we've seen the whole the battle because obviously the, the big corporates don't want to rock. They just want everything to stay the same and they have their same model because they don't want to use their imagination because they have none. And they always fight to bring it back in and then that's where the strife happens, you know, and they're always stamping it because the minute independent creators get a chance to go, right, we don't need you, and people can have this as an alternative, they always find a way to start making it more difficult. And we're seeing it now even with streaming. It used to be easy to get your stuff up, but now it can't be seen unless you're paying somebody to advertise it. You know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Of, well, again, I guess it gets a lot back to self-promotion um, and just... Uh, net, it's. I mean, it's, it's just a different form of networking at the end of the day, really, mm -hmm. isn't it? And unfortunately, I've never been that good at networking, whether it was face-to-face -face or online. Um, it should be easier online because you can lie very easily, but I'm not even good at that either. Um, so, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's just networking at the end of the day uh, get, and getting yourself seen. And it really is just truly right place, right time most of the time. You know, you can be really talented and have something really great to show someone. Um, but if you just don't show to that right person at the right time, then it just doesn't 
get seen, and that's really unfortunate. But, unfortunate. but that's always been the way with entertainment. There's always that element. But should that be for a reason for people not to try? Oh, no, because no. People get caught should. up with this. Because that's actually part of one of the themes of your movie, what you wanted to talk about. Um, this whole idea of the social media narcissist that just needs instant gratification. And that, you know, just takes you down uh, a certain path, which you're going to explore, obviously, in the movie, which uh, it's quite an intriguing uh, premise, I think. <laughs> Yeah, what? no, it's, it, you shouldn't. You shouldn't be put. I mean, first of all, if you're making anything, you should just be making it because you want to make it anyway. I mean, obviously, I didn't think I'm going to make a film just for the fun of it because there's money involved. <laughs> We're going to have to pay yeah. somebody back. But you know, the you are making it because you want to make it. And if if you're lucky enough to find somebody else to fund it, which I was, then it's a lot less stressful because of that. But um. Yeah, if you're making something purely because you want it to be seen and you need the gratification from people telling you that it's great, then uh, it's going to be a lot harder, I think. Or, or not hard, I think. It's just going to be more stressful because that's what you're aiming for. If you just mm -hmm. happen to make something you like it and people see it and you, and they and they tell you that, then it's just it's, it's a lot easier that way. And, you know, nothing might come of this movie that I make. Um or it might make a splash in some way. I, I you know, no one really knows. Because like you said, it could just get lost in the sea of, you know, thousands of movies that seemingly get released every week now on any of the hundreds of streaming services that now exist, or, you know, the official ones, unofficial ones, or people's YouTube channels, or there's all these channels where you can do short films. And so it's just, there's a lot of stuff out there. There was a time <clears throat> when we had four TV channels. <laughs> Do you remember when Channel 5 came in? It was like, oh, we're, we're entering the, the golden age. Oh, we're getting another TV channel. I did. I was excited because they were going to put Natural Born Killers on and no one had put that on TV before. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, back in the day. Uh, I don't know. Um, do we really have too much of a good thing now? Has it become bloated? <clears throat> um, I, don't think, I don't think it's become bloated. I think it's just become difficult to find that's all it, because because you have access to everything so easily you don't want to pick something so quickly whereas before you know you go to the vhs store when we were younger and you know they'd have a lot they, there'd be thousands of movies in some of those shops oh yeah but i remember you just well. you just gravitate towards one because of a cover uh, mostly in the horror section and there's a couple of shops close to me where they had like the kind of illegal section, I guess, where all the, the video nasties were. They weren't meant to have, but they were. Oh, the password, anyway. remember this one, right? <laughs> she went and you said, Merry Christmas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the Christmas card uh -huh. onto the counter. And on the Christmas card was all the, all the video nasties. Okay. <laughs> and what it was, it made uh, Squatties from Germany. That was the biggest, uh, uh, I don't know, traffic route of smuggling stuff in the UK. It was brilliant. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm kind of kind of lucky because my dad's from the Netherlands, so we mm -hmm. used to go over there on holiday, and you could just buy the stuff really easily in video stores there and bring it back. <laughs> so that's just used to do that. Just all these uh, suitcases just full, like, and they didn't have the hard cases there. It was all soft. It's like, oh, don't careful, careful. Oh, I, I remember one one time coming back. What was it? I had in my suitcase. I had uh, uh, what was it? Um, Cannibal Holocaust, Nightmare City, and. Uh, What's it called? The 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 movie, the House at the Edge of the Park, which was meant to basically kind of be a another Last House on the Left type movie. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what's the dude's name? I can't remember the guy's name. It's in it now. But yeah, the director of Hannibal 
Holocaust was taken to court and had to prove it was fake. And you're like, really? People yeah. Crazy. There's a really good book um, uh, about Ruggiero Diodato and his entire like film career. I've, I've, oh, it's right here. Wait, I'm going to show oh, it to you. That's convenient. That is convenient. <laughs> It's, if, you, wasn't if, staged. You, if you like an Ital- if you like Italian horror horror, this is an amazing book. Um it's just all about his movies. It's really good. It's oh, called uh, Yeah. So it's uh, I, I mostly watch now or have been for probably at least the last ten years. Like the majority of films I watch are just I love Italian horror, especially from yeah. kind of Dario Argento, he's eighty eight years of age, he's another movie coming out this year. Yeah, he had. He, it came out. Uh, Dark Did glasses. Out? I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was September, October time it was coming out. No, no, I, I right? saw it. I saw it a couple of months ago. I think, like maybe two or three months ago. Uh, it's, it's another Giallo, essentially. Yeah. It's a bit more of a modern day Giallo. It's a bit more like a slasher, I guess, mm-hmm. than kind of one of his old school Giallos. It's actually, it's actually all right. It's um, it's better than some of the other movies he he brought up before that in kind of a more modern day environment. I, I quite enjoyed it. There's some good bits in it. It's, it's well worth a watch anyway. I, I'd say. Yeah. Last Argento one was Dark Glasses. I watched. Oh, that's it. That's the one I'm talking about. Sorry. Is that the is one? It... Of... No, 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 no. He's another he one coming out. Oh, I didn't know that. Sorry. That's a, yeah, he's another one coming out. Yeah, that was exclusive. Yeah, that was Dark Glasses. That was a that was a fun movie, actually. No, I I, I did enjoy it. You know, yeah. it's, it's you know, it's, it's some directors get to a point um, where they just they just make films. Like... But uh, yeah, it, no, it's it's daft, but it's fun and it's a bit yeah. gory, and, and I like that. There's a uh, yeah, but, but a lot of the old ones just jumping on a trope. There, there's a creative, and I think it doesn't. You know, if you've got that creative spark in you, you're, you just don't want to stop. You know, it's a, like you said, if you're creating something for the joy of it, money, fame, retirement doesn't get in the way. You just, oh, I've got an opportunity to create a thing again and crack on. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it. I mean, I think with now, it's definitely back then. I don't think that was the case with the Italians because a lot of them were technically guns for hire. They got the financing from like Germany and Japan because those countries just wanted a, an influx of, of gory stuff, and the Italians mm-hmm. were very good at making it. But now, I think, yeah, very much so. Uh, well, especially if you are Dario Argento, you've got all that history behind you. You can probably um, just go out and make a movie because it's not like he, Dark Glasses didn't look like it broke the bank with the budget. But it looked like he wanted to make a movie, so he made the movie, which is cool. And yeah. I'm very happy to watch a new Argento movie. Okay, yeah, that review. Yeah, that review. Yeah, uh, lot of fun. I'm, I'm all for it, and I'm looking forward to the next one. I'm talking to which. Uh, let's let's talk about some of your stuff because that's that's why we're here. <laughs> we're setting, spend the whole stream promoting everybody else who doesn't need it. But um, your latest project, the Blade Cut Steeper. Um, what you said on your website, you plan to shake things up with the slasher genre. So. With regards to the slasher genre, what tropes still work and what are the ones that need to be refreshed? Do you think, in your opinion? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with any of the tropes or anything that needs to be refreshed. I think it it's with like with any horror movie, it's all about setting. Um mm. and about who you choose to play the character. I mean, any movie really. It's it's movies work because not just because you've got a great story. But because obviously you've chosen the right location to shoot it in, you've chosen the correct actors, you've chosen the right DP to work with who's going to give you that lighting or and the sound guy and, and absolutely the special effects guys are going to deliver on that. Um, so I don't think it's really a problem with the tropes. I think it's more... I was trying to say this before, but I'm really trying to think of a really nice way to say this that doesn't offend people that do stuff like this. It's basically, I think movies nowadays look like they've been made by content creators 
and there's no real like they don't think about what they're doing it's just they're so used to just putting stuff out like mm -hmm. a movie's got an idea let's just make it and put it out and let's not really think about it that much we know the template and we'll just do it like you can get like a paint by numbers you get that sort of yeah yeah pretty much which obviously that happened in the 80s but still those people because you had to shoot on film because you probably knew it was going to the cinema you had you had to make a certain slight different uh effort in order to to complete the movie whereas now you could be well you know what uh, we need slasher movies is let's say 50 grand to go make a slasher movie which i could i could make a movie 50 grand <laughs> no problem with a slasher movie but uh you know you could film it really quickly and but if you're not from that background and you don't really understand horror that well which some of them don't because they just want to make stuff and they just if someone's giving them some money or they just want to be seen then they don't understand how to fully use the tropes properly uh, in the sense of you know they don't know where to place the camera or how to build the tension up and that so i think i think there's nothing wrong with the tropes i think to answer your question i think people just misuse the tropes or just misrepresent how the tropes should be shown in the movie mm -hmm. um there's something i talked to is that um and their uh their film company you know it's a small distribution company but they're given like a week including editing to make a movie well that's that i mean i i so felt they're, they're given money days. and they're basically given seven days if that and even at like day six they're pushing them to get it finished and end of post-production and out that's insane because like i i barely made the 14 day shoot for my type that's just 14 <clears> days <throat> to film a feature for mm -hmm. me was like uh, that was intense because i know uh, um quentin who was in my movie but also worked on another movie in macau they did that he was in another independent it was a low budget film but more money than i had and they had i think basically 30 days which i would have killed for 30 days to make a movie that'd be great but doing mm -hmm. that in what seven days no it's like i spent months in pre-production <clears throat> you know making sure i got the right locations the right people pull, pulling in a lot of favors from people that like done commercial stuff with you know um and then 14 days of, of photography i thought you said you weren't good at networking well this is over the years from <laughs> <of> jobs <laughs> and, yeah. then, uh, and then i'm in, i'm still in post-production now because i'm having to do the movie in my spare time whilst i'm doing other stuff obviously because i gotta pay my mortgage and things yeah. like that so because i'm not not getting paid to make this movie the movie uh had a budget but none of that budget went to me because i wanted all the money to go you know on the screen and be, and be a part of the movie so um yeah, I can't imagine making a movie in seven days. That sounds that sounds like hell. Mostly doing that. Yeah, but that's you know, and that's why I think people need to understand crowdfunding a bit more, where the audience directly fund the movie, and you have you know a pipeline, and that's where the it's it's, it's a whole range of things like exposure, people getting to know you, trust the brand, where they actually feel comfortable enough to put hands in their pockets to directly fund you. Yeah, because when you're when you go to an entity you're just really a cog in the machine and like you said it's just like content content getting it out um, yeah. and that's that's where hollywood is you know what i mean that's where people and people look to hollywood as if that's the epitome and it's the worst thing i think well i um, think all souls gone out of their movies there's no love there yeah. anymore. well i think it's just very well like the film industry is i mean obviously we're led pretty much by the americans for the film industry for a long time and, and and obviously it goes in cycles usually by decade but i think the stuff now that they've been producing is it's lasted over a decade and there's a problem with that and maybe there's going to be a change sometime soon and, and some you know 
basically we've had a bunch of superhero movies, haven't we now for at least 10 years and probably more, um, which, you know, it's, it's fine for the beginning for some people because, you know, I, I was never really into superheroes. I never read superhero comic books. It wasn't really my thing, but I saw a couple of them when they came out, you know, if they came out around summertime when blockbusters were meant to come out, that's fine. That's cool. It's, that's the kind of time of the year for them. But now they're, you know, released almost all year round and now they've got their own shows on Disney and, and that's where a lot of the attention goes, isn't it? And obviously it'll fade out eventually because everything does. Um, it's just what will it fade into? Hopefully it will fade into another kind of golden age of cinema where you've got more indie orientated people, uh, you know, kind of leading the way. And it looked like it was going to happen, didn't it, a few years ago when Ari Aster brought Hereditary out. You thought, okay, mm -hmm. someone's new on the scene. And maybe a bunch of people are going to follow, but they didn't. It's not like in the 90s where you had uh, well, like Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, Steven Soderbergh, and a bunch uh, Kevin Smith and a bunch of others. You all kind of came around with some films together and they kicked off something for about 10 years. There's no people aren't seemingly concentrating on the on, I guess, the names of the people behind the movies anymore. They're more uh, concentrating on the IP itself. Mm hmm. I think that's a problem too. Uh, not that I, not that I want all the all the attention, but I think uh, you know when you, if obviously if you're concentrating all that uh, that effort on the IP, then that's what's always going to be at the forefront. Mm -hmm. But horror's always been different anyway. Well, horror always survives. Horror's always horror's there. always it's been okay. a thing, and it's it's just always trouble. In fact, uh, I've made the argument that the horror kept the cinema doors open over the last year, in particular <laughs> when everything else has been falling apart. Horror movies have just been trundling along, and we horror movies do their thing, horror creators do their thing, um, not getting too drawn into the nonsense going on, you know, and the end fighting and all that kind of guff. We've been lucky enough that we're all weirdos and we'll, we'll stay away from that because we embrace <laughs> who we are, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I, horror, horror just. But horror just always seems to find different avenues to to um, for people to to access them. That's all. So mm -hmm. you know, if they're not on the cinema, they're on streaming, or they're on physical media, or maybe somewhere you know, we still go see kind of like a limited showings on some cinemas and stuff like that. But yeah, horror is always seemingly fine. Um, it just kind of reinvents itself a little bit every so often. Yeah, and that, that's cool because uh, that's what we want. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't want horror ever to become mainstream. Because I think it would just lose its magic then. Yeah, I think I don't think anyone's really interested in making horror mainstream because it, I mean, it's always funny. I always find it funny when the Oscars come around, and and I never watch Oscar movies because they don't interest me. But you see, the movies that go up for Oscars generally nowadays, you you don't really hear about those movies until the Oscars are coming up. It's not mm -hmm. like the they market them, yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> like big exposure on the cinema. They're just just a just this prestige thing to get some awards so that whoever can get more money at some point. We, we uh, got a copyright claim because we were at a guest home reviewing uh, an American War in London. Yeah. <clears throat> and of course, that got a, won an Oscar for uh, best uh, makeup and effects. So we're just talking, like, as we're doing now, I just called up the, you know, looking for the details, and there's a video clip of um, that presentation where they brought on Vincent Price. Yeah. Five minutes, 41-year-old <laughs> clip. And straight away, the left on us, Ampus just went, rrr, rrr, copyright, copyright. No, I'm like, really? <laughs> really? You're not protective of, a, of an old clip of not even the full ceremony. And we were discussing it as it was playing. <laughs> I think, I think um, that's what, 
not what drew me to horror, but it's certainly what makes me stay loving horror uh, uh, all the time now is that like horror horror fans are the most forgiving people when it comes to movies because they just want to watch horror. You know, I think you understand I, as well the limitations. Well, yeah, yeah, there, there are, but you know, even even then, and there's still stuff that I'll watch and think, why am I watching this? But it's so much fun to watch. I can't stop watching this, you know. So it's uh <laughs> it's just yeah, that's, that's part of the fun. Well, that that is part of the fun. Is uh, you know, I I don't know if you remember this, but around the mid to late nineties, um, and possibly early two thousands, when VHS was still kind of around, there was a company that used to release movies at really low budget stuff from around the world in England called Screen Edge. And I had a bunch oh. of movies by them. So they I, they had movie releases like The Dead Next Door, uh, Ozone, uh, Transgression. Um, they even released uh, what what are their names? The guy who are the guys that make South Park? They're <laughs> very very famous. Oh, Trey like, Parker and uh, they released their yeah. very first movie, which is called Alfred Packer the Musical, which is about the uh, a cannibal uh, about cannibals. Um, and they had a lot of cool movies on there. Um, and you know. I've actually lost my train of thought now. Why I was telling you this? There was a reason why. Tangents, we love them. That's it. That's it. Sorry, Screen Edge. So yeah, so yeah. they just you know they released all these movies, and some of them were really good. Like you, could, very talented filmmakers, you could tell are going to go on and make a really good uh, other good movies and other films. Where you're like, ah, this, I don't know why this guy's making movies, but you know what? I really like it. Like there was <laughs> one called. Uh, Oh, it was a British film. I cannot remember what it was called now, but it was basically, it was set somewhere outside of Manchester. And I think there was some kind of disease going around and it was infecting the cows and people are having to rush around and kill all the cows in England. But they were, they were blowing them up with bazookas, but the bazookas were obviously made of like old toilet rolls and stuff stuck together. But the effects of the cows exploding was just, it made it well worth watching the movie. Just, oh, you know, it was like bad know. taste, but had about... Yeah. A tenth of the budget of bad taste. Well, we're reviewing that on Thursday. We're, we're doing a whole, um, it's happened one of the authors, is uh, we're just doing the whole Peter Jackson back catalogue because before, people only seem to know him for Lord of the Rings, but we forget that he's a horror movie creator first and foremost. Oh, yeah. And his first six or seven features are all horror movies. And I remember the video store, like bad the Bad Taste poster. I think that was one of my more inspiring ones. Uh, you know, that just got me. It's oh, just a guy going like that, isn't it? Yeah, that's just, just the, the, the alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, at the end of the movie, it's actually Peter Jackson himself. You know, and you know, I'm coming to get you, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great times. Yeah, that and Brain Dead. Yeah, I really like Brain oh, Dead. Oh, did that? Uh, was that last week? The week before? Oh my god, that movie. That is just gore on steroids, and uh, we're, I was actually breathless after watching it. It's been so many years because. It didn't give you a break. It just rammed up and rammed up, and you're like, "How the hell could this escalate anymore?" Oh shit! It's you know, it right up to the end, till yeah. the, the very last scene with the fall off the top of the house. Like that, just taking in that sort of trajectory. Brilliant. Uh, it's a great film. It's great. Yeah, I've you know I've, I saw a few of his films. I mean, I remember the Frighteners coming out. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I ever saw. Is it Meet the Feebles? I don't think I've Meet ever the Feebles. Um, the um, animated one. We're doing that. Like I said, we're <laughs> going to cover that whole back catalogue. Um, Looking forward to it, but then cool. that's that's bad. You know, I mean, people need to, I think, revisit that sort of stuff and remember that you can make you don't need 300 million to make a movie. No, and you don't have to make a billion just to break even. You know, you don't need that to be enjoyable. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, one other thing that could be talked about as well is that 
people feel the need to make horror movies look a little bit too slick nowadays, which just doesn't really suit it. You know, horror movies are generally meant to be quite raw. I'm not going to say grungy, but like raw. There's intense. a grittiness, you know. Yeah, um... the grittiness, obviously, that because, you know, the, that's what they're meant to be. Um, they're meant to look like you could possibly be watching a documentary, say, or, you know, some footage mm-hmm. that someone's just filmed, but obviously there's a production behind it. Because I, rem- I remember seeing, I, me- I remember sitting down and watching the Texas James Massacre for the first time when I was 12. It was a, a, a VHS and watching it and thinking, I, I didn't know what I was really watching. And it just seemed like it was really happening. I had the same feeling when I watched um, Last House on the Left for the first time as well. It kind of plays out more like a... I mean, there's really stupid parts in some of it, especially with the with the sheriff and this deputy and stuff in the middle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some parts just shot so much like a documentary and you kind of lose yourself in it. And you're thinking, wow, this is really messed up and it looks real. Some parts just because you get so invested in what's going on. And I don't think you get that anymore now because mm-hmm. of how slick things look. And you could blame... Uh, like digital filmmaking partly for that. But then I've, I've used a digital camera to shoot my movie, but depending on how you shoot the film and your lens selection and stuff like that, you can, you can basically add a little bit of texture and depth to it and not have it look like you're watching a, you know, like a HD TV show, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, you see so many horror movies nowadays. I start watching on like, um, say prime or something like that. And then I'm put off within the first ten minutes simply because it just looks the classic, so nice. Now the drone shot, everything starts off with a drone shot. Yeah, and it's bright, you know. It's yeah, all bright. super, super no crystal clear. Lighting. Yeah, it's just yeah. yeah, there's just no depth in, in the lighting. There's everything's clear. It looks it looks really slick, like it's um like just a prime time TV show, and it's just, it just it shouldn't look like that. It, it what I personally must. And I think you should start bringing that back. You did a wee bit of action in your featurette on the website. Links in the description, folks, by the way. <laughs> um, but um, any horror movie come out, you didn't hear from the actors or the director. What you heard from was the special effects team. And you kind of got behind them um, because they were the mad scientists. And what you got were the... Remember the little featurettes used to appear? Like when it was Nightmare on Street, yeah. was, you know, very rarely did you get a interview with Robert England. that was always a special effect. Oh, this is how we've done this. And you just got these people cackling about how they made a particular effect work. And they're, you know, they're talking about their secret recipes for their blood and their secret recipe for brains. Um, and that had you more excited for the movie because you just, you, you picked up that gleefulness. And that doesn't want to talk about the creativity for the, the art's sake. You know, you, you got invested in the artist. Um, does that need to come back? Should we start showing a wee bit more of that? Well, the thing is, though, I so, think there's a lot of stuff out there like that. But again, it, everything's just—it is. You, you're right, like you said earlier, a lot of it's flooded, isn't it? There's just so much stuff. It's hard to hard to find, and and kind of keeping your focus on one thing as well, where you're just kind of scrolling through things really quickly too. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, you. I mean, I remember when um, what was it? Remember when the, the what was that show? Uh, it's like one. They did it one year special Halloween Ghost Watch. It's like the nineties. Was that the that? on the Jimmy Savile Club's show? Uh, it was. They were pretending like it was a paranormal thing, and in a, in a haunted house, yeah, and they yeah, were and... It live on the news. Yeah, and that was there's a big event because it was something to lead up to for Halloween. And horror fans obviously were very excited about stuff like that, um, and then obviously during Halloween TV, that's when you knew on TV you were at least guaranteed to see a couple of horror movies. But everything is so easily available now that there's there's no special occasions left. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, because that's uh, you've only a horror made uh, horror groups or 
social media sites that's dedicated to horror. Um, it's actually last week he was talking about creator of Slasher TV or Slasher, the Slasher app, which is social media network for horror fans and creators. Um, the other one, but then everyone's talking about Halloween all year round, so people aren't segregating, no, not reining themselves in. Um, but that kind of you're kind of touching this weird movie, I think, the sort of premise behind it because everyone on social media they're they're trying to get those clicks so they're looking for the popular hashtags you know halloween's a popular hashtag so everyone's jumping on the halloween bandwagon all year round um people aren't waiting their turn if that makes sense yeah i think uh, i think in general like going a bit deeper into society if you want to say people that just need to be a bit more mindful and just live in the present moment and not be you know, I I, I love Halloween and mm-hmm. I wait for it to come around and I love horror and obviously I watch horror movies all year because they're, I mean, I watch other genres as well, but horror is my, the main genre that I like to watch. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't take away from when Halloween comes about because other certain things happen like haunted houses pop up and things like that so I can enjoy it. But then I also really enjoy Christmas and I'm not mm-hmm. a religious person and, you know, I'm not, I'm not celebrating the birth of jesus i'm, 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 I'm giving no, but it's that whole coming together family yeah, middle of winter bright lights you know yeah exactly okay. so it's just i think i think um i think it's great because when i was a teenager it would have been cool to have had apps where you could talk about horror movies with people all the time but at the same time i'm kind of happy i didn't because it meant that when i came across a piece of news or a magazine in the stand that it was really special because it was mm-hmm. like a diamond in the rough for me you know just finding that it's just you know when i came across a new horror magazine and the horror magazines came and go came they came and went in the 90s quite quickly some of them but you see a new one pop up you buy it and then you know maybe three or four issues later it got cancelled because it didn't make any money for whatever reason but it'd be cool because you just you find certain things and, and it'd be like a little bit of treasure that you found but now it's just you know i'll open up chrome or, or whatever browser you're using type in blah and i've got all the horror information that i need which is really cool because i love reading about horror information mm-hmm. but it, it's not special that much anymore yeah the thing is i'm kind of a lot of those horror websites are mostly fluff pieces not really much information i've found when i'm just trying to find okay what movies are coming out this month just so i can you know go to the cinema for example or you know, plan the reviews. It's very hard just to get that simple list of okay, here's what's coming out. Um, and you get all these fluff pieces and like, I don't know, it's like school kids writing essays as opposed to like news articles. And, well, no, uh, you're you're right there. A I, lot of I get put off. I've stopped looking at them. It's annoys me. Yeah, you you see a lot of the same stuff being covered as well on these sites. Like, I, I don't want to say site names, but we contacted a lot of sites for the movie to see if they were interested in promoting true independent horror cinema, and and a couple of them did. You know, uh, like mm-hmm. Starburst were really nice. They covered us, uh, as well as a, a, um, the Dark Side, like horror magazine, actually did something in their print edition about the movie, which was really you know I bought that because <laughs> that's a mm-hmm. souvenir now, which is cool. But there's a lot. Who, who say they champion independent cinema but didn't even respond or just gave an outright no and you go on their websites and they're actually just advertising a comic book movie instead which is weird because they're a horror movie website and um oh, you know, I've, seen, I've tried to find articles from someone because we do a, a monthly wrap-up and just horror news and trying to find decent horror news and amongst all this guff it's really frustrating yeah 
There's only one really good horror website news as far as I'm concerned. And, and not that, I, you know, I seem to be plugging other people on this interview, but like, I really well, like... The note. This is the thing. You're, you're, well, bloody, bloody disgusting. Let's just be sitting going, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we want to want to talk to you. You know, I mean, that's the whole point of being on here to get ideas and opinions. That's how people get to know you. Well, I I like the I like the horror website bloodydisgusting.com. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they they have generally good good sources of news and and like news that I want to read. And also they you know they've made a, a fair few of their own movies. I actually like I, I like the VHS series. I think they're a good series of movies. <clears throat> I'm <laughs> not a fan of <clears throat> In fact, sorry. People people keep trying to stitch me up in this channel. They keep calling, watch this one, it will change your mind. <laughs> and then they watch this god awful movie. I'm like, ah, you jeez, why are you doing that to me? And I'm then, a massive fan of found footage films, but oh. the majority of them are terrible. They are, and I'll fully admit that. But I just really like the idea. One day, another one's going to come along that is just fantastic. And I haven't seen any that I really like. I mean, apart from when the Blur Witch Project came out, which was really good to go and see at the cinema. And I did like, I do like the VHS movies. Um, I like, I like the Stream. That was a cool one. The which one? Deadstream. Oh, Deadstream. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was, uh, it's basically from a, a an influencer, and it was the most believable one because the way they set up the cameras and that, you know, and he actually made it believable. Yeah. Where I hate the fact, why are you filming? You know, what I mean, some someone's going around with a camera. Like, why would you be filming right now? That wouldn't be that camera would be on the <laughs> ground twenty minutes ago as you're screaming. Oh, of course, wrong. yeah. I mean, and there are ones that don't make any sense, but are still really good. Like, um, oh, what's the zombie one that I can't think of the name of now? They've made a sequel to it as well. Uh, I think even Dimensions like release them. They're British zombie films, and it's a found mm -hmm. footage. It makes no sense, really, because the first one is a British found footage zombie movie. So who's found the footage and is playing it to us? This is after the zombie apocalypse, and the zombies are still there. So I don't understand who's found the footage and edited it all together. It doesn't make any sense. But either way, it's a really good film uh, that I cannot remember the name of off the top of my head. Um, what is it called? Oh gosh, you know what? Know, that, that's the thing. I think there needs to be. I think we we'll go too much into the the first person aspect, where I think a found footage film to me should be from a third person, somebody playing the part of finding the footage and playing uh, attack. Yeah, you kind of, I'm giving you a chance to look up. By the way, well, I'm I'll no, no, I found, I found I'll it. Sorry, it because it broke me. I couldn't remember the name. And I yeah, so I was going to just waffle here for a second. I, I appreciate that. Thanks, <laughs> you caught on to that very quickly. We have uh, we have done this before. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Uh, it's called the Zombie Diaries. The Zombie so, Diaries, never heard. Yeah, of yeah. So they made a sequel as well, uh, which I don't think was actually called the Zombie Diaries Two, uh, but you you probably can find it under that. But the Zombie Diaries is the first one is quite low budget, and mm. then the second one I think got financed by Dimension when you know Bob Wine, uh, yeah, Bob Weinstein was running that, so it actually got a bit of a budget. But they they're cool movies and they're well made. I want you to know, like, I reviewed this, okay, and absolutely hit it. I'm calling you names on stream. Well, we, we can argue over it live if you want. It's fine. Yeah, I'll just call you because, uh, <laughs> God, the worst one. Cameron sticks me up. He made me watch Underwater. He said, oh, oh, it's okay. That. You'll love it. Love it. The fucking wooden plank herself, Kristen Stewart. And oh, I just found the whole stream while well, I reviewed it, calling them all the names of the day. That was my stream. <laughs> Why do you make me watch it? What? You stitched me up. You stitched me up. And I just went off. <laughs> <laughs> I might have taken it a bit too personally, but it's <laughs> But that's the fun of movies, though, isn't it? And um, what I don't understand, and it, it's part of the, this whole nature of you either have to be for it or against it. And if you're not like exactly 100% the same things, then you can't be friends anymore or you can't talk to each other. Um, and it's actually got down to movies like Hereditary was a perfect example. If you 
liked the movie, you were okay by a certain camp, but if you didn't like the movie, you were a horrible anti-horror, blah, 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 blah. And it just <clears> was so dumb. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, well, I think that, that's been the case, hasn't it, as well, for a long time. You've always got people who either want to be on... People who are in the middle, people on either sides, the extreme, uh, whatever it is. Um, I, I'll admit that when I was younger, especially in my teens, if, if I liked something... If I disliked something and you liked it, yeah, I was one of those annoying people who, who would have a go at you and say, why do you like that? And then list off all my my reasons why you shouldn't like it, um, uh, which is, oh, it's fine for a kid. I'm, there's I'm different reasons. Now I can do that. There's one reason going, okay, here's why here's why I liked it and maybe consider these ideas. But what I don't agree with is you like something I don't like, so therefore you're a horrible person and I can't be your friend. And also I'm going to contact your employer, your friends, I'm going to get you, you know, this whole cancel nonsense or if you don't like something then you're a horrible person so i'm going to do exactly the same thing and you have to be in our our camp and it's just like grow up yeah well yeah you definitely That's... do need to grow up but i think also you need to realize some people rely on that. That's the thing, though, because there are some people out there who have such a direct relation with their audience, and that's how they guarantee their income as well, uh, because like they're self-sufficient with some of, the, some of the things that they make, that they really have to stay on the good side of their audience the whole time, because if they mm -hmm. lose their audience, then they simply lose their revenue stream as well, because they don't work for a studio, say. So if you're stuck in that situation, it's, it, that must be really, really hard. I'm not... Would that not be worse than working for a studio? <clears throat> well... I guess it depends on how much of a narcissist you are. <laughs> really, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I mean, if you, I don't know. I, that's uh, I've never really thought about it that much. Um, I never it, thought about it from that angle because I'm always um, like my stance is more independent creators that we're not owned by this group of grey people who actually don't have a creative bone in their body, and they just want to rinse and repeat whatever the current thing is until they beat it to death. And then they start a new thing and beat it to death. You know, being trapped in that cycle, I imagine, is pretty horrible. Plus, it affects the storytelling and it therefore affects. But I never thought about it from the other aspect of purely independent that you've got a hardcore group of an audience. And if they're all, if they're reasonable people, fine. But if they're maniacs. <laughs> Well, I th well again, know. it probably depends on what you're making as well. I mean, mm. any type of art form, whether it's films or music or like uh, you're an author or if, even if it's comic books or, or whatever it is, um, there are obviously people who who make their money by going to like smaller cons and stuff like that and selling their stuff directly to, you know, their fans, which is mm. a cool way to do it. And, and that's not something I'm against. I, if, no, no, if no I, that's, that's what I'm saying about that. You know, that's yeah. what I strive for. You know, I, I think that should be the way smaller Smaller independent groups or loosely affiliated um, consortiums, if that makes sense, to pool resources to make movies. Yeah, yeah. And those course. can come together, fall apart, and then that way you've got more freedom and ideas. And you can, if a part of that consortium breaks off and something new comes in briefly, there's a new set of ideas rather than us just rigid. Here's the corporate stamp that has to go and everything, and it must all fit into this box. Yeah. And I think that's a killer of creativity. No, I, I, never I, I think you brought it up. I never considered it from the other aspect of. Well, you have to think as well for all the yeah. people, say like you, that are doing that already. There's going to be that those few others who deal with probably quite extreme subjects in whatever art form they're doing, and because mm -hmm. of that, they have some quite extreme followers. And I'm sure those extreme followers can be quite volatile. So you know, you just have to be careful, I guess, with that. I'm sure you'll be fine. I don't think anyone's gonna. 
any uh, be some volatile uh, follow if you um, doing anything but uh, oh no yeah. people know what i'm about the ones that come on that, that, that <laughs> i just don't have no time for that sort of nonsense so <laughs> i don't know what i would do if i have you ever had one of those fans no because still like some strange folks i've been like i said i've been doing this for three years now not my first project if that makes sense but this current you know uh podcast and you you get some really interesting people just pop out of the radar and the proper like like creepily latch on now i've been lucky enough i'm i just don't i don't need that adoration i don't need people to adore me you know, I, mean, I don't need that. I, I like these conversations. I like meeting people. I like networking. I like discussing horror. This is my outlet to, the, you know, discuss a genre that I love. So I don't need fans. I, I, I'd rather have people that come on and enjoy what we do. I'd rather have friends, if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah I've had a couple of times that, and you can almost tell that there's foam at the mouth on the other end of the, the internet where they're sitting. And it's quite disturbing. You're like, oh, no, go away, go away. No, no. I'd, I'd sooner shut this all down and not do anything than have like 10 of those people one's enough when they pop up then again i guess i'm kind of looking forward to i mean again it is a stamp of you know what i mean it is a that's it is a bit of a badge of honor let's be honest you know you've made it when you got that sort of <laughs> when you get one of those folks you're like whoa well <laughs> you know, as 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 my bar is really low for my life in in the sense that all i want to be able to do is is to survive making movies if that means that i just make minimum ways doing it i'm cool with that because at mm -hmm. least i'm doing something that i love and, you know for minimum wage that's fine so with that with that i'll probably have some kind of following obviously because you need some kind of following to an audience to sell the movies to but and you might get a few kind of strange people like saying stuff to you and i, and I can live with that it's fine you probably get some great some really fun remarks but obviously if the movie or a movie that i make becomes more successful and uh, i'm seen by more wider people and mm -hmm. um and that's when, like, uh, you know, obviously the larger percentages of people kind of qualify for more, uh, let's just say, crazy people coming out of the woodwork. I'm kind of really looking forward to that to kind of see. What kind of you just want to see what it's like. You're like, you're kind of like, yeah. aha, yes, go on. Yay. <laughs> you know, just sort Pretty of, yay. I have a, uh, a private group. Look, anybody that contributes to the show, we all sort of put our heads together you know that's how i get people coming back and so on that, that's how i keep in touch and every time i've had one of those sort of folks i just post a screenshot in the group and like here check this one out so can i won't beat that and somebody else put oh here check this one out you know i think that's the way of dealing with it too you have to just you know don't get frightened just go all right okay um and share it with uh sort of like-minded people that get it you know so you can you can sort of say well if you know that hurdle i'm still here I've uh, still survived, if that makes sense, and carrying on. Oh yeah, no, completely, uh, completely. I think uh, until I, until I truly experience it myself, I've no idea what my reaction is going to be. But um, you know, if it happens soon, I'll let you know. Yeah, talking of a niche group that might have some slightly unhinged people. Um, what do you think it attracts people? Because it, it's sort of covered in this maybe as well. What does it attract people to the sort of true crime uh, genre or true crime stories? I personally don't get it. Um, I'm like yourself. I like escapism. So I don't like um, docu series, as a word out there, on like serial killers. Not that people are obsessed with, but we think it as attracts people to that sort of thing. I think it's the same thing where people slow down at a traffic accident. They're just curious. They wanna they wanna see something a bit macabre, even though they don't want to admit it. That that's that's they're just curious about what they're not experiencing in their own life, and not that they want to experience it, but just 
you know, there's a probably some kind of a bit of an adrenaline rush that goes along with with thinking about uh, what if I did that? What if I, you know, basically had the had the balls to do it? But I'm obviously not going to because it's wrong and it's terrible. So mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much what it is most of the time. You know, it's the same reason why. I mean, I like escapism. It's not that I don't want any reality in my films. No, obviously. no, it's all about balance. You know, it's yeah, we're not we're not all about this. Um, do you think that's do people have to qualify that now because everyone's so absolute? Like, I, I am for this. I am against this. It's my 100% total opinion on everything. We can't have any nuance anymore. Uh, I think it's, I think, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I really think you do. Yeah. Like, you yeah, catch yourself going, oh, yeah, but they realize, why am I even thinking that? You're like, oh, that's right, because there's absolutely maniacs out there who that's the one thing and they latch on that and that's all it can be. I'm like, how do you experience life if you don't change it up a bit or if you don't? Well, I think you uh, they're just thinking things. that way because you've said something that they just disagree with, so that's fine. Uh, I think that's a good easy that's an easy way to determine as well who you can kind of target yourself to because if you if you know these groups of people interpret what you said that way, you're like, well, okay, that's that's fine. I don't need to talk to you then because obviously you're not the type of people I need to be talking to about this certain thing because you have a completely different point of view. And it's not that you shouldn't talk to people who have a completely different point of view. In fact, you should because you need to open up a conversation to try and understand why they think that way. But it just depends on the social situation or what you're doing that day. Obviously, if you want an easy day, just, just stay away. But if you're mm-hmm. willing to and you've got the patience and you want to maybe learn somebody else's point of view, even though you don't agree with it. That's always a good thing. Learn something new. You might even get a good storyline for a movie. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. It's just, uh, I just hear the way everyone. So even it's because it's permeated now into movies. Like I said, Heredity was a perfect example. You either, you had to either like it or you had to either hate it. And you couldn't go, well, like this, but like that, but that, but was a bit stupid. You know, you can't, you're not allowed to have that nuance anymore. You have to be in one camp or the other. And it's just, I think that's going to destroy creativity if it's allowed that you're always going to have people like that. But if you let that dictate the conversation, and I prefer discourse and conversation as opposed to debate, because well, debate I, I, has to be a winner, you know, and I'm not, you know, I mean, yeah, I see what you mean. I, I wonder though if that was really always the case. It's just that we all didn't have the means to <clears throat> to um, view our opinions instantly to absolutely everybody in the world at the same time. Um, matter of seconds maybe yeah so maybe you know i was i've always been quite an opinion i mean not that i'm a loud person but even when someone says something just disagree like everybody else if, if i disagree i disagree inside my head but i'm very mm-hmm. opinionated in that way so everyone's always very opinionated i just think oh yeah and there's nothing wrong with that we all have our you know in- easily accepted now it's, it's acceptable now to voice your opinions more than it, i think it just used to be because also uh, you kind of somewhat encouraged by obviously by companies because that's how they make their bread and butter by collecting all this information, but also uh, because you're seen as in some ways like to promote yourself or um, to empower yourself or there's there's a whole bunch of different reasons. But basically, what I'm saying is that we we are pretty much encouraged now to just talk and speak our mind all the time <clears throat> without um, when sometimes we should probably just think a little bit more before we type of message <laughs> yeah take a pregnant <laughs> pause and just go mm, is this a good idea or yeah. do i want to like or sometimes i'll see a poster or a video or something i just go straight to the comment section because i know it's going to be comedy gold and not because i've got an opinion either way it's just i know the sort of people it's going to be what they're going to say and sometimes most times it doesn't disappoint and you're just like ah, <laughs> but to get that invested that you feel 
you have to take part in it and it's not going to change anything. That's the thing. <laughs> but, no, it's, uh, I think for some people it's just a momentary release and it makes them feel better for maybe for five or ten seconds. Um, yeah. That, that's about it. Um, but, but then reality comes back again. Yeah, and at the expense of somebody else's feelings as well, which can be quite horrific for some people. That's that's a good little segue, actually. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, is there a line that needs to be drawn? Because uh, you're like, like I said, this film is themed on social media, on influencers, you know. And uh, is there a line that needs to be drawn where people pray on others' experiences to make themselves famous? Because I think that's something you, you're going to be dealing with in this movie. Uh, I mean, it's kind of partially part of the film, yeah, sure. It's uh, about a guy who's, I mean, he, he he's the host of a true true crime um, TV show, and obviously every true crime every true every TV true crime TV show has obviously the reenactment sections, and he uses those sections specifically <clears throat> to draw his audiences in. Mm-hmm. So they're always way over over overdrawn and over exploded versions of what actually might have happened in the crime anyway in real life but of you know but it's the kind of like the advent of when um say cnn or those 24-hour news cycles first started in america um you know they, they had a lot of boring news at first until they realized no we need to show more blood and guts and then they'll get people will get the will get the ratings in then and it's just it could be the same with influences now not necessarily that it's blood and guts but over exaggerating something that yeah, just cranking happened. things up, getting the making things more dramatic, yeah. which is yeah. you know basically what they should be doing in a movie, but they're just doing. But it they're not they're doing it in reality TV. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. use yeah. that term very loosely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Everything's overblown, which is fine if you're making a movie because that's what movies are for. But mm-hmm. if um, you know, making blog posts or little news pieces or whatever, it, it's you know it, it's it's not good because it can. Uh, hurts people's mental health a lot which you just touched on in this film you know one of the reasons why the the person doing what they're doing in the movie is because of the way his wife's death has been reenacted within this true crime tv show and it, it's affected him you know psychologically which is you know why he goes on a rampage essentially so mm-hmm. yeah that, that, that is there there's one i can draw a comparison to um do you ever heard about that wee girl year ago eliza lamb the name rings a bell if so you can she was elaborate. in vegas i think and uh, she was the one that ended up drowning in a tank at the top of the hotel oh i and think the, that, i i know the one she yeah i know the one you mean yeah right so she was only like she was only a young girl um pretty young girl too such a shame but people couldn't figure out how she got up there and how she got herself locked in was this the one where they saw footage of it going in and out of the elevator, the elevator yes yeah yes okay yeah yeah and yeah. i didn't know whether she was seeing something like that, right but that, that's the story you know tragic story but there's these two i can only describe them as dipshits who went to make you know the the i, I don't know i think because i was looking at the story and it was there was a song made about it and uh you know why youtube sends you on a rabbit hole sometimes and just have to click on this these two kids like they were only kids themselves and they're all getting on over hyperbolic and they're giggling and laughing you know <laughs> oh yes and she did this and did that no oh, dude we're here do you know and, and you're just like <clears throat> disrespectful arseholes that wee girl's family's probably watched this, or somebody that knows her gets made aware of it, and they're yeah. basically it's like peeing on someone's grave. No, you know, I, that's I, sort I completely of, uh, agree with what you're saying. I mean, and that that's what I mean. That's essentially what I'm saying in this in my movie. But nothing is said outright in my film because I don't. I believe good horror movies have a message, but the message is in the background. 
yeah and it's up to you to figure out what it is you know uh, it's fine um but yeah no i completely agree with what you're saying you know people simply taking advantage of other people's misfortunes um to get clicks and they monetize those clicks and then that's how they make money and that's a that's a screwed up thing to do obviously but that's again you know where they got that from they got that from mainstream media because that's pretty much what they did for a long long time and they've just people have just with advent of technology managed to figure out well you know we can just do it ourselves now and just make up stupid stuff or, or reinvent things and we can just make money from it instead of the company's doing it and i not that i agree with it but um no one should be doing it whether it's a company or a, an individual yeah so that's the question should a line be drawn or is that you know the people just need to self-regulate more but if there's a if there's a way to make money obviously people won't how do we, uh, how do we get people to go yeah you maybe shouldn't be supporting us that's a bit distasteful. Well, but then again, the horror genre as well. Um, we're kind of all about being distasteful. How do we? Yeah, it's, it's, I've got my personal lines. Obviously, I won't. You know, what I mean, if it's about somebody's real life, I don't think it should be done. You know, what I mean, I don't believe in sensationalized. You know, real events. I love horror movies. I love the escapism. I love being taken somewhere else from that safe little bubble of okay this isn't going to happen it's ridiculous and you go yeah. on for the journey but i don't know how do because it seems that either over regulation and that's where the censorship comes in and it goes too far and the people that regulate aren't interested in achieving a good aim they're just it's the power they get off on so they're not you know i mean there's too many bad actors but i think if you if you take that 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 story for an example if mm -hmm. someone had looked at that and thinking you know what kind of the basic idea of what not the basic well the base what basically happened to her if we could take that and make it into like a horror movie but it's not obviously not about her but we've taken some inspiration from it because that's you know horror mm -hmm. movies or most movies come from some real life inspiration obviously yeah because that's also keeps it grounded yeah. and that's what gets you so, that, so that's fine screen. but if you were to make i would disagree i guess Oh no, I would disagree. I'm not no guessing about it. Well, I wasn't I making a point for or against. I'm saying, is there a you know what they would do when somebody's blatantly, you know, disrespecting somebody? You just ignore it. That's all you can do. Unfortunately, um, I mean, that's, what well, else people don't do? the, the click and then the, the feed this based. They're always going to. Hmm. It's, 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 I mean, if I had the answer to that, I would not be sitting here with you right now. I would be making. <laughs> I would be going going to a company and telling them what the answer is and making hundreds of millions of pounds and then financing a couple of movies with that money. Yeah, I suppose it's the eternal question, isn't it? It's just people are people. Well, that that's that. Yeah, they are. It, it manifests in different ways over a period of time. That that's just uh, that's just what will happen. Um, and some people will watch it for a bit, and then I think will actually realize that what they're doing is fueling the fire, and then stop watching it. But then, obviously. People, more people just keep coming along, and those so it's who, like a cyclical thing. Um, yeah, I think so. But those who who stay to watch it all the time, well, that says a lot about them, you know. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I was asked about true crime. There are people who are dedicated to true crime; they absolutely love it, and that's all the, they're interested in. And I just, I don't get the mentality because that's that's my kind of that's my line. That's where I don't enjoy uh, horror content. You know, if it's too close to real life or about real life I, I see what you mean yeah i mean i do i do watch a lot of true crime stuff and i find that it's good for me in the sense that it gives me a lot of inspiration for writing and you know like ideas for characters mm -hmm. and and scenarios and situations um and also yeah i've been interested in true crime since i was like but a I suppose that's the way before. writers creators do research so <clears throat> yeah somebody somebody's packaged it up for you you know when somebody's like 
package the bundle, I can get it from a creative. Well, no, it depends. Though, like, go, going back to what you've also said mm-hmm. about like how they covered that the those two guys going to to the hotel. Let's say that you can have a documentary come out about a horrific crime that happened, but it's respectful and it gives you the information that you're kind of interested in. It tells you maybe why this person was the way they was, but then you have mm-hmm. a documentary that comes out and obviously they're just completely sensationalizing it. That's not even a yeah. word. And, um, and uh, it's just purely made to get people to watch and make money and it's disrespectful. So it again, it's just down to how something is being represented obviously and the intentions of, of making that piece fair because that's um that's what this film's taking this stance from you know somebody's been disrespectful he's you know done it to get clicks like not even the body's not even cold so to speak and that's what sets off your main character yeah he's just yeah, yeah that that's i mean pretty much yeah yeah you you got you've got it got it right there it's just uh it, it's just you know could, it, could this be a subtle warning <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I'm I'm too lazy. Am to I, I, I might thinking more about it than you are? I might yeah, be a typical think. nerd. Um, this is what you gotta. This is what you gotta look forward to when you uh, deal with audience members and people like me. It's just like let's overthink this one aspect that you probably never even thought about. You're like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> I think that the the character in my movie because there are two main two main characters essentially uh, the the TV show and then. Uh, the TV show, the TV show host, mm-hmm. um, who's the character's name is John Abbott, and then the killer, who in the script was just references the maniac, although he's not really a maniac. I just just I just enjoyed calling him a maniac in the script. That's all. Um, he's a, he's a sad person who who shouldn't be doing what he's doing, but I can kind of understand from a certain point of viewpoint after losing absolutely everything um, that there's a breaking point for certain people, mm-hmm. and not that that obviously gives them the right to do what they do, but unfortunately there are people in real life who do reach a breaking point and they can go one way, which is maybe go get some help, or they can go another way and completely snap and just go what we used to call postal. So, yeah. you know, so... But that's part of the human condition. That's Horror <clears throat> has always explored that. And I think that's why a lot of people are uncomfortable about the horror genre. And pattern because horror has always dealt with that. It's always dealt with you can be a normal person going about your normal life, and this one event can happen, and then everything gets turned upside its head. And that's slasher movies, paranormal movies, um, monster creature feature. You mean you look at the whole genre, and that's that's a lot of the premise is um, you could just be a normal person, they're the most frightening ones, and then seeing how that person comes about, and some heroically, some fall the bits some desire to get revenge you know it's a you're not judging you know i mean you're just telling the story and i think that's something horror has always done better than i would argue a lot of other genres yeah i agree and i personally don't like resolution (laughs) in anything um i like i like you to have to make your own mind up at the end of the film as Mm -hmm. what's what's probably happened to the characters which is kind of fun you know i mean um of it's like I'm always going to go back to this because it's my favorite film, but it takes a chain mask. It just, it starts and ends and then it's over. And then obviously people have died. So you know what's happened to some people, but still there's a bunch of stuff left open at the end. And okay, they made a bunch of sequels, but if you ignore them and just, yeah, God, please do. You know, it's great. And then you've got movies like nightmare city, uh, where it's just stupid at the ending really more than anything else. But, um, you know, it's kind of going to go in a cycle. Something's going to happen. Um, is it really happening? Is he having a dream? Whatever it is. Anything that's open to an interpretation at the end of a movie is good. So I don't really want that much resolution. It's like real life. Real life at the end of an incident just doesn't stop and everything gets tied up in a neat bow. Life carries on. 
Well, yeah. So to me, a story you should be... just be getting a snapshot of an event, you know, as in part of a maybe yeah. a bigger universe. Well, exactly, because you could be in the middle of doing something in your in your real life, something really important, and then you get hit by a bus and you're dead, and there's no resolution to what you were doing. It's just your life's over and yeah. it's gone. So it's like that's kind that's kind of how I want my and uh, movies to end. That's what how like movies just they just end, and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, what's happening there? And uh, you got to think about it. And if it, if the movie was interesting enough, you will sit. And I, sometimes I do sit for not not that I sit in a chair for days. No, but it, it's, it rolls around. Any sort it's of art. around and driving around, but, thinking, "Oh, I wonder why that was the way that was." And then I'm like, oh, "I need to watch that film again because maybe this things earlier on in the movie that I missed, I need to pick up on." So that's that's the kind of movies that I, I want to make and I want to watch that interest me. Um, Do you think that's going that, wrong? Um, like you said, you're you're challenging the genre. Uh, I don't think you're just challenging the slasher genre. I think you've got a. <laughs> I think you've had a more um, a deeper topic of movie making in particular or storytelling um people aren't restrained anymore taking the movies by the length of it um everyone has this need now to over explain every little detail so you've not there's nothing left for the audience and usually what happens is most of the movies then become forgettable you've almost forgotten what it is because everything's sort of been explained you're like oh, okay and then by the time you get to the movie you've forgotten the first half of it and by the time you walk out of the cinema or change the channel or put some or turn it off to something else you've actually forgotten what you've watched well that, that's it i think i think my movie is difficult very different in the sense of a lot of modern stuff that's coming out because it's it's what i call kind of classically shot you know there's like nice long i think i'm motivated i think movement is motivated for the camera for me in, in filmmaking not all the time but most of the time it's motivated movement for the camera so the camera will only move that means if it has a reason to move not like mm -hmm. now where um, you could watch a movie and for some reason there'll be like 20 crane shots in the scene or 20 drone shots in the scene um, that just make no sense. The, the, the movement of the camera should help push the story or tell mm -hmm. or reveal something about a character. Or, you know, not just do it because you can because the technology is so is there to do it anymore. Yeah, I've got a toy. I want to use it sort of thing. Yeah, rather than yeah exactly. And I think story. lighting is a big thing in movies nowadays that people don't utilize properly anymore. So uh, especially for horror. Oh um, sound is very much overlooked. I love some that. movies I've watched. And I mean, the sound is awful. Well, you'll find that a lot. With, I'm out. Yeah. With first time filmmakers as well. They will guarantee a lot of them always prioritize the visual over the sound. Whereas the best if, if if anyone takes anything away from this it's that people will forgive a shitty image but no one forgets forgives shitty sound so em, employ a good sound guy with some good sound equipment <laughs> that's that's my advice you know that's something i actually learned with this podcast um start just um using different equipment and the, the stream was awful of using different software and it was just it was taking up too much cpu space and that and it was just People didn't mind that the maybe the stills froze sometime, but when the sound got choppy, that was that's when you <coughs> yeah can't people... watch it. And there's uh, even uh, YouTube videos I've watched. Once the sound goes and starts going, bah, 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 that's it. You just can't watch it. You just yeah, because people uh, just it get it pulls you out. It's weird. Mm -hmm. It's really strange how visuals don't do that to you as much as sound do. I mean, obviously visuals can do that. Yeah. If um if if it's but it has jarring to go further visuals, down, yeah, it has to be really jarring. Yeah, to do it has that. to be very very different. Um, but yeah, sound you just like an in interruption, and it's almost as if because it's like having a, co a conversation. It'd be like if you're having a conversation in the street with someone, but then a car honks its horn really loudly. You 
you just turn to the car and instantly you're out of that conversation, you know, mm-hmm. because you think something might have happened and it just takes you out. And then depending on if the conversation was interesting or not, you've, you've lost interest, then you're on to something else. Yeah, um, that was a good way. Yeah. Nah, but um, <coughs> most, most importantly, um, what's next in the pipeline? What have you got cooking once you finish this? Um, well, I mean, I've got a couple of scripts that are ready to go, but really what's in the pipeline after I finish editing the film is the long process of trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's the, um, but uh, uh, I've got, I've been sitting on a comic book for about a year now, which I need to release, but I just never find the time to release it through my company. I, I wrote the first part. I wrote a comic book. It's a, it's a zombie comic uh, mm-hmm. set in Macau, uh, which is a SARS. Kind something of I don't hear too much about. Um, horror comics were the thing, and they seem to have vanished now, which is... Well, I will plug another company while I'm here. Yeah, then. come on, so, this is what we're here for. Let's get so it going. And there's a company the... that I think are ba- I think they're based in Cardiff. I should know because I'm working with them right now because the, the they're a comic book company, but they're now moving into doing horror movies. They've done one horror movie already, and I'm working on the second horror movie as the director of photography. So mm-hmm. it's a horror, it's an anthology horror feature film which they're making, and I'm the DP for the whole movie. But they've also asked me to direct one of the short so we're currently in production on that but it's a company great. from uh, based in cardiff called hellbound media and they release a lot of great horror comic books i'll especially plug uh, a comic book called slaughterhouse farm because if you're into 80s slasher films that's mm-hmm. that, that's a that's a really good comic for you to read um actually the reason i'm also plugging that is because the guy who co-wrote that comic book <laughs> also co-wrote my movie so <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's brilliant so yeah so but yeah so um so yeah, so uh, I've got a comic. Why do you book feel like you have to apologize for plugging stuff? This is this is what I need to get. Out, especially Brits, we are the worst for it. Be proud of what you do, man. That's what we're here. We're here to plug. We're here I'm to not, get I'm people's not, eyeballs yeah, well, and stuff. Well, that you're right. I'm Brit- well, I'm, I'm I'm half British, so I'm I'm half proud of what I do. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to fully accept it. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I shouldn't apologize. I shouldn't apologize whatsoever. Um, but yeah, no, their, their stuff's well worth checking out. But yeah, to answer your question, I, I have a comic book, but I just don't seem to find the time to release it because it's just more about how to promote it. So at some point, I'll release the, the first part of the comic, which has been, it's all, all been done. Mm-hmm. And then, but really, I just want to carry on making movies now. So I'll get this movie uh, through post-production, um, sell it, and then get the financing for one of the other scripts that we have ready to go and just keep making keep making films more than anything else. That's my plan. Well, obviously, once it becomes available for the the greater on watch like us to get our sticky hands on it, please reach out again. And let us know so I can yeah. uh, make a post if nothing else. Um, definitely, you're more than welcome back on, man. Back on, tell us about your other uh, projects <laughs> once they start getting together. Um, no, I've had a great time talking to you, man. I'd, I'd love to come back on again. Thank you. Thank you, Eugene, and thanks for coming on. Honestly, it's always a pleasure. And let's get let's get the British scene back out again. We we've done <laughs> movies and creative from centuries you know what i mean that nothing why would feel we'll have to stop all of a sudden there's no reason for it yeah that's true <laughs> keep, keep plugging on you know what i mean with every right to have our stuff out there as everybody else but uh there you go folks um links in the description um i've said it about five times the blade cuts deeper um link to the website's in the description go check it out um support it find uh once i find out once we'll, we'll get some proper way to get into our mitts Obviously, I'll come, uh, come back and let you all know. But uh, yeah, 
Plenty of still, uh, we're only just halfway through the month, still loads of interviews and all going on the channel, plenty of stuff going on. Tomorrow we are reviewing Books of Blood uh, by Mr. Barker, another relatively, he's a wee bit well-known um, British writer. Uh, we're, we're carrying on with that series, we're near at the end of that, we've done busy nearly his entire filmography at this point. So we're doing that tomorrow. Um, as usual, keep up the date with the channel, do the typey clicky things, and until next time, keep it creepy, keep it horrific. <laughs>